0: private lender podcast episode 97
1: the private lender podcast quote of the day comes to us from benjamin franklin who said without continual growth and progress such words as improvement achievement and success have no meaning
0: Hello and greetings from the energy capital of the world, Houston, Texas, and welcome to episode 97 of the Private Lender Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and I'd like to thank you for sharing your time with me today. The Private Lender Podcast is the only podcast teaching people how to become passive real estate investors while helping them keep their money safe and investing in private mortgages to other investors. If you're looking for practical tips and advice on being a successful private lender, on how to successfully build wealth without banks or Wall Street, then you are in the right place. But if you're looking to learn from my mistakes and shorten your learning curve, well, then pull up a chair and pour yourself a few fingers of Scotland's finest and add just a few drops of water because this podcast is just for you, my friend. You know, several years ago, uh, I began listening to podcasts and uh, along with NPR, Bigger Pockets, the Investing in the U.S. podcast was one of the few that I had, and one of the few real estate podcasts that I had in constant rotation. Uh, Joe McCall was another one, Kevin Bupp's. But I I found the story of the host of this podcast coming to the United States from Australia and living out his version of the American dream. I found it very inspiring and I'm happy to have the man himself on the show today, all the way from down under, Mr. Reed Goosens. I think you're going to find Reed's story quite compelling and I hope that you find it as fascinating and as valuable as I did. There's there's a lot of info that we go into and he uh, shares and there's a lot of rabbit holes that we could have gone down and... And looking back, perhaps we should have gone down a few of those, but, but in the end, I hope you find the extreme value in today's interview. So without any further ado, let's get down to the brass tacks and straight into the interview with Reed Goosens. Hey, Lender Nation, welcome. I want you to put your hands together, although he's not going to hear it. I want to welcome Reed Goosens to the Private Lender Podcast. Reed, welcome, sir.
1: G'day, Might. Thank you so much for having me. So, good day. So you're from Southwest Texas then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Southwest all the way uh, up near Amarillo.
0: yeah, perfect, <laughs> excellent, excellent. Like I've already given them a little bit of background, but as we were talking in the pre-interview, you know, investing in the United States was one of the first. Your podcast was one of the first that I, I listened to many many years ago when I was kicking around the idea of this podcast. And so, and the reason why I wanted you on is because um, I, the older I get, I'm now in mid forties. I'm a firm believer: are there are two types of people, people that get it done or make progress, and people that make excuses. And when, when it's, and I look at somebody like you and, and hear your story, it makes me feel like a slacker. So thank you. Uh, it gives me lots of
1: motivation. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm, so, I'm sure a lot of Americans think, God, shut up, Reid. Stop telling us. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As soon as you open your mouth, all the ladies are going to look. Where are you from? Yeah. Now he's hustling out, yeah, out hustling yeah, me. I mean, exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Well,
0: uh, give us for the two people in the U.S. that don't know who you are mm-hmm. in the real estate investing world. Can you give us a little bit of your background? How, yeah. To get to
1: Amarillo from Australia. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> direct shot. Right. Direct. Direct. A uh, catapult. Uh, no, I know. I live now in Los Angeles. Um, the whole premise is, guys who, who are listening out there, is that I moved to the United States in 2012. To chase two things was both for love, was to live in New York City. I really fell in love with New York City and uh, chased a girl. I am now married. Uh, so that was coming over here back in 2012, just to, on a whim to say, hey, screw it. I want to, you know, I, I, I fear regret and I'd hate to wake up when I'm 70 years of age and go, geez, I wish I'd, I, I'd lived in the United States for a period of time. So yeah, just just on a whim, quit my job. I knew there was a really awesome visa here for, the, for Aussies. And I rocked up in New York City and my background's in structural engineering and I knocked on engineering you know, companies' doors until someone said yes. And I pounded the pavement in New York City and got a job within two months, got the visa and then started investing pretty much this soon thereafter. So um, that was back in 2012. Today, I quit the job. I now am the co-founder of Wildhorn Capital. I control about $175 million worth of multifamily real estate a recently best-selling author, also podcast host. And I don't say it to boast. I say it more to inspire that. If I, an Aussie, literally grew up with, with blue-collar means, my parents are both teachers, I moved to the United States with literally just a, a mission to give it a go. If I can do it with limited funds, you know, no network, no established network, no family, and, and give it a crack, as I like to say, and achieve financial freedom through US real estate, I will I will add, in seven years, then, then, then why can't you? And I had visa issues. So, you know... <laughs> you know there's no excuse right if people are listening out there going oh god i wish i should get started get started because if I, my perspective is that the united states is awesome when it comes to real estate investing both cash flow and appreciation you guys don't know realize what you're sitting on um so get off the fence and get going
0: <laughs> thank you for saying that yeah because that is um i can speak for myself that um you yeah, know i'm i'm an american why why isn't everything just easy for me you know that's i you know, and then I've started traveling the world and like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We, okay. We do, you know, uh, this is a pretty good place to, uh, to, uh, I mean, the last time I went to New York City, you know, your, your love city there, uh, I had two Ubers. One was from Uber drivers. One was from Pakistan and the other one was, um, oh geez, I can't remember now. I think from the Horn of Africa. What, what brought you here? You know, opportunity. You know, they just, they just wanted the chance, you know, they didn't want the guarantee to succeed. They just wanted the chance to succeed. Exactly.
1: Yeah. It's a chance, and a lot of expats, and you know, obviously, I don't, I don't come from you know, worn, torn country like the Horn of Africa or anywhere like that. But uh, it was still a mission for me that that Aussie. I'm sure a lot of people, what you meet when you travel, like, oh, Aussies are bloody everywhere. You know, they're called Jaffas, just another fucking Aussie, right? <laughs> and so, you know, and the reason is, is because we're, we, we're very isolated down there. We all speak and talk and look the same. So when we, and, and it costs a lot of money to get out of Australia so when you go. You want to go travel the world. You want to experience it. It's built really in our DNA to, to get out of it and, and go give it a, give it a crack. And, and a lot of Aussies that, that do make it to the United States and do, you know, who I've met in, in my travels and doing business, you know, they're pretty top shelf type of people. And they're here and they're, they've got their back against the wall and all they want to do is succeed. And so it's that expat mentality of just like, well, you know, the only option is move home. <laughs> you know what I mean? So put all, you're all in. All the chips are on the table and let's give it a go. So, so yeah. I love that. So what uh, you were an engineer back in, in Australia. You, uh, yep. you
0: came to New York for the world of the city.
1: Well. Yeah, engineer here as well. Uh, structural engineer and worked for pretty much up until 2000 and what we were, 2020. So two, halfway through 2017, where I actually got married, I was working full-time job. The premise was I, I came to the United States, found an engineering job, like literally pounded the pavement until someone said yes. Like I, I realized in 2012, putting your resume on, on indeed.com was just not going to cut it. I donned a suit and literally knock, knock, knock. Who the hell are you? Who the hell are you? Who the hell are you? I've got an interesting story. You know, I worked in in London for the 2012 Olympic Games back in 08 and 09. I had some ex- really you know worldly experience that I could offer some people, but I knew that if a company had more than 30 people, they'd have HR, and if they sell my resume and saw that I was educated in Australia, they'd chuck it in the bin. So I needed to be, do something different, and that was knock on doors. And eventually, someone said yes, and I ended up working for a Russian guy who had an engineering, structural engineering firm and uh, half the people working there were expats as well. So it was sort of like, you know, New York City is a boiling pot of expats and my whole mindset of like, I'm not going to get a job because I'm Australian. That washed away very quickly because New York City is the boiling pot. So, um, so yeah, that was... And then moved to Los Angeles, which is where I am right now in 2014. And at that time, I really had to, you know, make a decision of, okay, do I want to... If, I've, if I have to stay in a W-2 because I needed a visa to stay in the country, Let's use the skills that I have and transition into working for a real estate developer. And so I emailed out a bunch of people that I ha- actually happened to be working with as, from the structural engineering firm as a consultant. And I was like, hey, look, I'm sick of engineering and I want to get into real estate development. Um, would you have me as a project manager? And, and I, I just knew I had to surround myself with real estate 24 7. And in late 2014, I made that transition to a big developer down in Long Beach and worked with them for about three and a half years building high end luxury multifamily apartments. So I've really come through not only the engineering, but through the, the tools, as they say, into now creating my own, my own business. And, and all of that being said, guys who are listening to this is I was also doing deals on the side the entire way, starting my podcast, doing deals in New York, doing deals um, when I moved to LA and started buying multifamily, co-syndicating. So I was doing like spinning all the plates, doing you know pumping, pumping, pumping. So a lot of hard work. Um, and it wasn't until I got married in 2017 that I actually could, was allowed to legally go and Quit and be the be the be my own boss. So so yeah.
0: So let, let's get it. So you come in, you come over here. I like the fact that uh, I, I got a funny story to tell you. So I when I, uh, I graduated from the university with a degree in philosophy in German. Okay, in, in philosophy in where? in German in German in German. A double oh, in German, major. Got it. So Go I ahead. wanted I wanted to teach German philosophy and also did a I was a, a research assistant for a uh, for post Holocaust literature. Anyway, I was going to be academic. I wanted to be, if you've ever, if you've ever seen uh, Animal House, I wanted it to be Donald Sutherland's character who <laughs> uh, got high with the young co-eds and stayed over. Uh, you know, that was in my early 20s. That's kind of where, you know, that was the extent of my intellect. I'll just put it that way. But I heard a story that uh, Socrates was a bricklayer. One of my philosophy professors said, yeah, he had a job that paid the bills and covered his family, took care of his family. And then he had the side hustle, which was philosophy. Turns out 20 years later, I can't find that. I can't prove it, <laughs> but I believe so fervently in that uh, of having the, the support system, the, the base, and then busting your ass and go do something else. And so there's, there's, there's some parallels here. Obviously I had, didn't, I didn't move 12 time zones uh, away. <laughs> <laughs> Actually after I finished uni, it was about 90 miles. But uh, <laughs> same oh, time said zone. Uni. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, so he said HR. So I was like, oh, no, it's, it's, but that means HR, human resources, folks. It's, um, <laughs> it's Aussie and Brit. So I I, I know that from my uh, you know, my, my insurance, uh, Lloyd's over in London. I spend a lot of time. I'll be going over there soon another uh, for another trip very soon. So so I love the fact that you had that drive, number one, to do it. But you, you found a way. You found a way. You created a way. You went and, and anyone who's listening, I know anyone who's put a resume out on Indeed or the last time I did it was like Monster, I think was the big one. Yeah, no, you, you know you're hitting, getting hit by an algorithm. But uh, anyway. So you get to New York, love of your life, city you love. You said you started doing deals. T- tell me about that. with a single family, or did you jump right into uh, commercial? Or- no,
1: no. It was was so. Just to quickly rewind, before moving to the United States, in the two years that I spent after two thousand and seven, when I graduated as a structural engineer, went went to London, worked on the twenty twelve Olympic Games, went to the set, then up, in, And that was in twenty eight, two thousand eight middle of 2009, moved to the south of France to be a deckhand on, if you've seen the, the show Below Deck on Bravo, it was exactly that. But I worked work for a work for Russian billionaire. And it was that, at that time when I was in Spain just on a weekend trip after running the Bulls that I met Erica, who's now my wife, who is the American girl that I fell in love with. So I say that because I have to put it in context. There's a lot, there's a lot goes on in this story before moving just to the United States in 2012. And so after those two years of being abroad in 2010, moved back to Australia, and really had a back an engineering job, back in a cubicle, you know, just going, what the hell am I going to do with the rest of my life? Like you, I, I really enjoyed studying engineering. I really enjoyed the the academic side of it, the the problem solving. But I just being in the workforce was this was crap. You know, this is not what I signed up for, and I felt like a a basketball player on the bench watching the, the my life, the game just go on in front of me. And I was like, I'm not going to sit in this cubicle for the next 40 years of my life. So that was really the 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 desire and that was in 2010 right we're sitting here in 2020 a decade later and i picked up the book rich dad poor dad and that was really where it started it was the aha moment that okay i need to create financial freedom for myself how do i go do that and you can do it through real estate you can do it through investing in businesses you can do it through stocks and bonds um and so i chose real estate because I was just like, oh yeah, I'm a structural engineer. I rub shoulders with developers all day long. Like I should pay more attention in my day job. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. sort of like they're putting one, two, like the, the blinkers came off. So I was educating myself in Australia, doing you know, uh, the equivalent of uh, a REA in Australia, but there was only one of them in the whole country. It happened to be in Brisbane where I was from. I was going to do something in Aussie at the end of 2011, uh, meaning like a flip or a lease option, but then decided to move to New York City. So the money I did save for my day for my day job I, some of it was lost obviously moving halfway across the world what was left over was re- really funny that i was like oh my gosh i can spend thirty-eight thousand dollars and buy a triplex in upstate new york and syracuse and i was like holy shit this is crazy but also moving to new york city coming from australia it was like taking on information out of a fire hose right it's it's the big apple it's new it's networking on steroids it's I, like we don't have and, and this is another thing for all you listeners out there in Australia, we do not have the established network of the rear associations, which are around the country, which are bloody incredible. And things that are available for 20, 30 buck door fee, you can get so much great information that I would have had to pay thousands of dollars in Australia to a guru to because we don't have the same established education that here you do here in the United States. And so instantly, I was just like you know, a pig at a trough, just like trying to consume all the information I could nose in a book on the subway to and from work, and then with little, little within six months, I had chosen the market in upstate New York because that's all I could afford. Was a you know the barriers to entry here in the United States are so much lower than they are in Australia. Like thirty eight thousand bucks, you could not find a property for thirty eight thousand dollars. You could do you could find a piece of dirt for thirty eight thousand dollars. So this was just this whole revelation of like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what Chad Portad says. You know, buy an asset, cash flow. And so I didn't have a car at the time and I was jumping on the Greyhound bus and going to and from Syracuse on the weekends. Like, And the, the brokers would pick me up and go for a little cruise around. And eventually, um, I bought my first property for 38000 And the reason I had to use all my cash was because also the banks weren't lending to me in the beginning. I didn't even know what a credit score was when I first arrived here. I didn't even know what an LLC was. So I was learning all this stuff, but not actually, but still wanting to do a deal. And, and what it came to was, you know, 2010, picked up Rich Dad Poor Dad. You know, we come coming to the end of 2012. It was two and a half years of self education. It was sort of like, come and read, piss or get off the pot. You know, like you've got to do something. You can only read so much about doing it. You've got to go and actually, you know, get, you out, get your feet wet. So that's what I did. And and you don't get to deal number 10 without doing that first deal. So, um, and it was my own money, right? So I was willing to risk it. And, and, and it was a lot of learning curves along the way. Let's, let's put it that way. Let's put it that's the easy, light way of saying it. But I'm sure we'll dive into what they were and, and and i've done some flipping and all that sort of good stuff so so yeah
0: I mean, i'm curious um what was your response the first time you're looking
1: to, to get some credit and somebody asked you for your social security number like what wow. uh, <laughs> yeah i think the social security number came like six months after i even got to the country like it was like what uh so yeah credit was like uh yeah you can open up a a, a credit card with your own money you yeah. can put a thousand dollars down and that's and so it's like, Oh, this is a cool credit card, man, like a thousand dollars and it was my money. So yeah, it was that was my uh interaction with the banks when we first got here.
0: So build down yeah. such sure you had to build now you're a decade in, close to a decade in. Uh, hopefully now you've got your uh, credit oh, score. Perfect. You've done. It. It's easy. Well, you know, you're not a true American unless you got a crappy credit score. So yeah, I don't right? know they told you that.
1: <laughs> is it coming through the uh, you know, the the border security is like you be be prepared, man. You you're not you're not you're not one of us until you uh, do the roller coaster, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, it's uh, get so far in debt and not know what the hell you're gonna do. But as long as that debt is paying for itself, though, that's the key. It pays for itself. So you get into uh, you get into. I like that. You, you know, your limitations is uh, by being a. Uh, a legal or, yeah, I was say an alien. I lost it. my favorite. Well, no,
1: that's true. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, a legal alien. That's what exactly, you know, classified by the border agency. If you, when you come through, are you a registered alien or legal alien? They say, yes, I am. Like, uh, yes. So I've got two heads. So,
0: yeah, yeah. It's, um, your skin's going to turn green by the time this interview's over. But, uh, so, uh, how did, uh, so you started flipping, you know, kind of, I would say what, uh, it sounds like you, you know, sort of the conventional way you get into the single family or you got to get a tri or So you got, you already went into, more than just one door in your first property. Even though, you know, FHA considers that the, the 1 to 4 still, you know, residential single family residence, but that so you started there, you've done some flipping, you've been into this since Australia. How did you how did you, once you got over using your own money and establishing some credit, how did you use how, who funded your deals
1: for you when you're still in the single family realm? Yeah, so the first to, to the first deal was all cash. $38,000 and I got, I partnered up with, you know, partnered with another bloke who bought in 10 grand and we just sort of split whatever cash flow was coming through. So that was more, not, not, there was no hard money or private loans at that point. It was just, you know, we were 50 50 on this one crappy little deal. And from there, I was able to get a line of credit for $28,000, got $28,000 plus I was saving some more money for my day job and bought deal number two for, for $45,000 and then started looking to do um, a flip in Philadelphia. And so, so those first two deals, one was all cash. I proved to a local bank that after like three to six months of depositing rental checks that like, hey, this thing's working. Can I please pull some money out or give me some sort of line of credit? And they gave me a line of credit and that for $28,000, a business line of credit that is. And then from there, I was able to buy a deal number two. And from there, I was able to go and look at a, a multi-flip uh, in Philadelphia. But you know, we'll talk about that. But that was really the extent before I realized my tether was going to be tight you know it was there was a ceiling there i wasn't probably going to get any more than those two or three deals in upstate new york plus a, a flip and philly what with the with the modest income that i had in new york city so it was you know and, and the whole and we can talk about the, the scale of syndication how i've used that to, to power the business but that's that's really how i got started in those first couple of deals uh, was was through my money and through uh friends and family and then through uh, for the flip deal we used um construction hard money loan so so yeah
0: very good. Okay.
1: And so how do you get to, I'm curious, how do you get to Los Angeles? Was that your choice or hers? No, uh, my, my wife is originally from here. So she was like, I'll give you a year in New York. And, uh, and I ended up staying 18 months or a little bit under two years. And she we had a bit of a time apart, and realized I oh, know she's the love of my life. I got to better, 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 Shut up and move out to new, move out to LA. And and plus, I'm I love surfing, right? So this is this is the place to be. So it was absolutely a, moment,
0: so. a good man. You left New York. That's uh, that's good. Uh, that's awesome. Okay. Well, um, so I would, uh, You've gone from you said your tether was going to be tight. What was your next move?
1: How was uh, how did you level up from, from there? Yeah, so the big level up was actually uh, a meeting that I had with a good friend of mine who I'd studied engineering with in Australia. He was a Canadian fellow. Came down at the end of 2013 at this time, a couple of little deals, looking at this Philip that I was about to start doing, about to move to LA. And, and I'm like, man, guess what? I'm, you know, I've got all these cool deals and I'm crushing it. And there's like $1,000 of cash flow coming in a month. Like, woo! <laughs> but I'm still working full time. So I'm not actually financially free. And anyway, he was just like, oh man, it's freaking awesome. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. And he then blurted out like, oh, I just closed on a 70-unit deal. And I thought, like, 7-0? And he was like, yeah, 70. And I was like, how the hell did you close on 70 units? How did you in Canada close on 70 units? And he told me about power of being, getting a mentor and, and the power of doing a seller carry back finance on, on a multifamily deal. And the thing was, he was it was those, that conversation, those little things that he said to me that I was already doing in the triplexes and the duplexes that I had, except he was at scale. And I was reading about the scale part of it, the commercial side of it but didn't have the ability or the guts to go out and use other people's money, right? To go and raise capital to, to do these deals. But that was, in talking about getting to the end of my tether at the end of 2013, I'd been being pitched you know, by the Rich Dad programs and the mentorship programs and the thousands and thousands of dollars. And I was very frugal with my money. And I, cho- and I, I knew I had to get to that next level. And, and doing it by myself, I was all self-educated at that point. I really needed to get a, that mentor who was going to do it. And I, and I said to myself, okay, I'm going to double down. I need to you know, put it from, we'll call it third gear into fourth gear to, you know, okay, you need to get away from these resis. If you want to go in and really scale this business, you need to get into syndication, you need to get into commercial. And so you need someone who can build you, help build your credibility and who's done it before. And so I went out and found a mentor and um, paid, I think, 2500 bucks, which is now not $2,500 anymore. But it also gave me the permission to invest in myself, right? I, that, that parting way of that two and a half grand, I knew I probably had it within me to do it by myself, but I needed that sounding board so I knew that I was on the right track. Because on, being an entrepreneur, you know, doing a side hustle is lonely and, and you need that check-in to make sure that you are going down the right path. And so that money was really more parting ways with the fact that I was like, no, you're investing in yourself. And that was the most important rule that and lesson I took out of that, and and he, he's now not my mentor anymore. We, we only came together for a couple of years, but it was something that was really important to me to take to to allow me to take that next step and and, and go and scale this business into what it is today. So so yeah. So I, I yeah the mentors are I
0: you we success leaves clues, and, uh, but you know success is also a horrible teacher. Right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's that's kind of the the dichotomy there, but. I love the fact as you're talking about this, This is very matter of fact, this is just in your DNA. You're going to go do it. You're going to, it's, you know, I would not want to get between you and the object of your desire going to do it <laughs> that way.
1: There was, look, don't get me wrong. There was, there's nerves, there's always nerves and how you deal with it and how you self- second guess yourself and all that sort of stuff. Like, let's not be, let's not BS and beat around the bush here. Like that was, it was nerve wracking. And, but the thing that I've realized over the time, Keith, that is like, I am okay with uncertainty. I'm um, being uncertain in my life is fine. And, you know, knowing like the move to, from Australia to the United States, well, the worst case scenario is where I'd quit, you know, just move back to Australia and get another engineering job. That was it. That was literally the worst case scenario. And if I'm okay with that, then what the hell? And so, you know, doubling down on myself and getting a mentor, is like, well, I've come this far. Like, screw it. Let's freaking do it. What, what, what could go wrong? Like, what's the worst case that can happen? Okay, I spent a bunch of money. I didn't get my, my, my values worth. All right. Well, I, I, at least I had a go because I knew I needed to scratch that itch. So, so yeah, yeah.
0: Well, like I said, you went and gave life a crack. I like that. Exactly. exactly. I like that. You've, uh, I, I would uh, trademark that as soon as you copyright <laughs> that or something. As soon as you can. Uh, so yeah. So a a lot of us, you know, in the real estate world. I mean, let's face it. Rich dad, poor dad is the the beginning of the shift of okay. You know, I myself, uh, born, and raised in outside of Houston. My parents were born before the Second World War, so. Every attitude they had about money or prosperity came from the depression, came from an area of lack, which uh, was great from a defensive standpoint and, you know, guarding your, your eggs and, and taught me the importance of saving uh, for the rainy day and, you know, and, and, and investing in the future. It also pinched hold the thinking, especially more for my grandparents. For example, my, my father was, he was going to be a doctor and his sister was going to be a lawyer. No ifs, ands, or buts. Those are two high paying, respected professions, Education's the only way. And so now that I come in, education is still vitally important, just not the formal stuff. And I, I like that you got a, a mentor, someone who's been there before and said, Hey, look, I've screwed up here. You know, don't do this. And that I, I commend you for that on several levels. But there's also, excuse me, the, um, oh, okay, hold on,
1: edit this out. Cause I just went, I just went blank. <laughs> but I, I think I know where you're going with it, right? Like you're going with, the way in which we were brought up is hugely impactful on how we use money, right? And how we, we treat money and how we view money. To me, education is really important no matter what education you get. Now, I happen to go through university. There's been obviously big mass in the last 20, 30 years, massive university kick. And I think the pendulum needs to swim back the other way for vocational training, which I think is also very valuable. Um, but we won't talk about that right this second. But, but what university also allowed me to do was grow up, right? And problem solve. And as I said before, I loved engineering degree because I can problem solve. Didn't really like it in the workforce, but what it gave me the ability to do was okay. Well, I've got. I know I'm. I'm not, I'm not an idiot, and I can go f- figure this out. And the, the, uh, then you, the other thing you need is resolve that you've got to go and be able to have the resolve within yourself to know that you can go and achieve something. And, and so that then that for me came from my, my upbringing where my my parents always taught me the world's your oyster. Read like, and ignorance isn't an, is not an excuse. And they also taught me that that you know, a fool and their money are easily parted. So if you are a fool with money. You're not going to have any of it. So be wise, and so all these things, when I was growing up, definitely impacted who I am today, and definitely impacted for me. You know, to go give life a crack because it is you only live once. And and I know just the recent losses. Unfortunately, my my mother passed away just after my my wedding in 2017, and it got me to the point where now I also realised the importance of the journey and life and being successful in other facets of life, not just business, not just money, not just success. It's success comes through a lot of other pillars, not just the one. So there's all that sort of stuff. And, and I know you're where you're going with it, where you're saying, well, your parents brought you up to be a certain way. I need to have this education so you can get this awesome paying job. And that means that you're going to be a success in life. Well, I think in the last 10 to 15 years, particularly since the downturn, so many millennials, my age, um, probably your your, your baby uh, Gen Xer, I could imagine, are now questioning the status quo of what your parents and what our parents have, have taught us, right? And so that is really, and that's fundamentally from a you know post World War II era uh, of of industrial industrial revolution, uh, and that would become so much more productive. But you know, you've got to be productive in this way and it's about getting a job, about working hard and you know getting your 401k in line and blah, 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 blah. And we've been told all this stuff. And it wasn't until the crash in 2008 that everyone's like, wait a second, hold up. You told me all this stuff and now this is now screwed and I've now got to figure out for myself. And that's where this new era of entrepreneurship-ness, <laughs> being the the bread maker, the candlestick maker, you know, all these old-timey not old timey, but going and being really good at a specific niche that you can sell on Pinterest or you can sell on freaking Instagram or whatever it is, and you make money from it and you uh, don't need a job and you realize actually financial freedom is actually a lot closer than what people told you and that fear of like, got to get a job, got to stay in a job, got to stay in a job, got to do this, do that. And then at 65, then you retire and then you can enjoy your life. And that was something I did not subscribe to. So um, yeah, so my, my GC is also just about to leave. So uh, yeah, but that, that's exactly, exactly how... Um, I view it today, right? So, obviously, you have no regrets. But you know, you left
0: your corporate gig. I recently left mine, and I remember one of, one of the podcasts I listened to talk about, you know, human beings are crabs in buckets. When and they they try to get out, and as soon as one act actually
1: looks like they're about to get out of the bucket, the other crabs will will pull them back down. Tall poppy syndrome is a, an Australian saying that people. They'll cut you down when you don't be too tall, you know, and come back down to the rest of us,
0: yeah, and I was shocked at the level that I experienced from my from the office, and but I had this great revelation that it was done out of love, it was done out of care for me, but at, and, and like, how can you do this, and I'm like, I don't have a choice if I don't do this, I'll be so full of regret and what's the worst thing that that happens? Okay, I have to give the house to the ex wife, I go move in with my parents begrudgingly and to get back on my feet, but to make sure that my kids are covered and cared for. And, I, you know, and I'm like, well, anybody would do that. Then that's the worst that could happen. Then what's the problem? Mm, you yeah. know, and,
1: and, to, and my mom was like, I don't know why you're doing this. I'm like, it's for peace. Right. Fear is such a, such a motivating factor. And you know, a lot of politicians use it for good and bad. <laughs> and we're just so fearful of it. Sometimes our in shadow that you've got to learn not to be fearful. And it's okay. And that uncertainty and, and uncertainty is okay, and lean into it a little bit. And people, a lot of people, and I get it, a lot of people don't like it. And that's why they're fearful for you or they want to protect you. It's like, Keith, you're going to go off and stuff it all up. And, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Come back over here to the safe side where we know it's safe over here. It's like, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's, that's what life's about, right? Like, I would love to slide into my grave in many, many years' time going, geez, had a freaking good life. You know what I mean? So <laughs> at least I, there's no regrets as he's saying, you know, like I, I gave it all I could. I could give it a crack and there's nothing left on the table. And, and so, yeah.
0: There you go. And I'm and I, I wondering if I have a, a little theory. So when you look back on yourself now, you've come to the United States, you've, you've gone through all the visa crap, you've, you've become a real estate investor. What? Somebody who wasn't even born here is coming here and making money? Mm-hmm. American, yes, American story. <laughs> Hello. So people like me who were born here, the bums. you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, but, but looking back, I imagine, I mean, look, and not to say that what you've done is, is not momentous by any means, but do you ever look back and go, you know, yeah, moving, you know, 12,000 miles or whatever. But at the end of the day, it really wasn't that big of a deal at, at the end of it, was, it? was it, did it? You look back and go, it's like, that, that, does, that was nowhere
1: near what I fretted about as I was doing it. I remember being just nervous, a nervous Nelly getting on the plane, you know, and and just going, leaving my family. My family had all written me, you know, these handwritten letters from my mom and, you know, my my sister and my dad and just like, and they were all supportive. They were like, you're going to go do this. You're going to go crush it. But it's like the fear in your mind that you create is, is... I don't know what it's, it's the reptile brain, is it? I think it is, you know, that sort of survival mode in the back there that your brain's like, nah, don't do that because you're going to get eaten, (laughs) right? That was what we used to think back in the day, or you're going to, you're going to not be able to survive. And when we, when we take a step back and, and that perspective and giving, giving yourself a pause and looking back in life, yes, these things that I've done, you've done, other people have done that they, they look at you and think, gosh, how the hell did you do that? And you realize it wasn't that big of a step. And it wasn't that big of a step and it wasn't that big of a, it wasn't a roller coaster. It wasn't anything like that. And because what you became good at at that point when you did take the step was that you backed yourself, you bet on yourself. You said, I'm, for me taking this step, you leaving your day, your W2 job, you changing the way in which your mum brought you up to be, you're taking an initiative and planting the flag and saying, no, I back myself and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Right.
0: For good or bad. That's exactly. I'm. I'm gonna do some insurance adjusting, my day job. I'm gonna do some real estate consulting. I'm gonna do some, you know, private lending and whatnot. And I'm just, I mean, for me, it's uh, working less, being home with the kids. And how could I be afraid of this? Like I really like wonder how the, what was there to fear? You know, uh, I'm not getting rich by any means, but I'm not losing money either.
1: Right, but what you are getting rich in, are experiencing, and the fact that you're getting the most valuable asset back is your time. Right, that's the whole reason we do any of this. The widget that we use is real estate. You could be selling, you know, something on Amazon, and you know, it's, it's creating your money whilst you sleep. It's that ability to create money whilst you sleep that helps you create, free up your time to spend it more with the people that you love, your family, your friends, your family, to work on yourself, to work to be a better better son, to be a better husband, to be a better dad, to be a better brother. All those things is, is what you know becomes now the quote unquote the meaning of life. So yeah, what a that's a that's a great thing. So I, I, you know, somebody,
0: were you just like born an overachiever? Tell me you you like tell me you were like the class clown or
1: something? No, like look. I, so growing up, my dad in high school was the deputy principal, so I had to be well well behaved, but I was not. I was a B student, you know, some got some A's, probably got, got some C's. English wasn't a great subject for me. The fact that my, par- my parents called me read, I struggled in, you know, in primary school to, to read books and I really had to focus going into high school about, you know, actually l- l- picking, up, picking up a book and reading it. So, no, but no by no means was I, I can't, my, my parents are both teachers, you know, they're, they're, I didn't come from, from money. We had a very modest upbringing. We were not allowed certain stuff because... We just couldn't afford it and that's fine. You know, it was the, I was taught the value of a dollar and I know that my children, when I do have them, will probably be more fortunate than I was, but I just hope I can still instill in them the same moral core values that my parents instilled in me because it has made me, it has, it's made me a grinder. It's made me someone that can, you know not afraid to roll up the sleeves. It's a, you know, made me someone that don't question yourself and go out and, and give it a go and, and back your intuition and in that the world is your oyster when you start having those five to six core values of what you've been brought up with, yeah, life, you, your perspective starts to change. So. And, and
0: just, just to give you a little, a uh, little hint uh, some unsolicited advice, the best way to instill moral character into children is taking this thing away.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't frisbee at them and throw it across the room to be like, God, it's 5am be quiet.
0: <laughs> Both of my kids phones were taken away from them this week. And all of a sudden chores are getting done. Mm-hmm. You know, the dog bowl has food and water in it, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, Oh, look, what I've been asking for is all of a sudden, you know, now it's, I told my kids, you don't get paid for chores, but if you do something above and beyond, I'll give you some money. So washing the car, you know, of course what they, they wish they got paid for picking up dog poop in the backyard. I'm like, Nope, you <laughs> wanted them. You're getting, you're picking it up. <laughs> this is your responsibility. Yeah, that's you know. right. Yeah, so yeah, that's, um, awesome. that's awesome. But yeah. Um, and I, say, like I was telling you earlier in the pre-interview, I hate the word hack, but it's just, is this something innate in you or is it something you just, okay, I want this, I'm going to have to do whatever it takes to, you know, here's my goal. And look, I mean, staring down like you, I think I, I actually had an office in my own private office and I sat back one day, I was looking at, um, looking at a deal and I realized I was like, man, I, I made it. I can kick my feet up here on the desk and I can ride this out for the next 20, 25 years until I retire. And then I, then the very next image, and I am not trying to be, you know, graphic, but like honestly, the very next image I had was me swallowing a bullet. Like I can't do that. There's no way I'm going to be able to do that,
1: and I have to figure something else out. And um, so, yeah, here, here we go. I think that the answer to that is variety is the spice of life. And if you have variety in your life, whatever it is, you know, it can be from getting you get your juices going from. Going to church, or being in the community, or real estate investing, or surfing, or climbing a mountain, or jumping out of a plane—whatever it is—you want variety in your life, and that human beings are made to have variety. And if we do the same thing for too long, we get sick of it, and we get bored of it, and we need challenges. And that is where it's a constant battle, right? Because you also got the, the inner chatter of the brain going. Go on, you can do. Well, you know, this is boring. You figured this out. All right, let's go on the next thing. To also then have the other challenge of be like, oh, well, let's just stay the course because we were trying to build something here. So you, we constantly have that that the challenge and the fine uh, walking down a fine line of, of balancing the two. Um, but at a young age, it is about going out and figuring it out. It's about going out and making mistakes. And, and you know, the number one piece of advice I've got for got for young kids is go traveling. You know, I went traveling. I left Australia with three thousand bucks in my pocket and I was away for two years. Like, go out and learn a bit of life and experience other cultures and. Do that and come back and you'll figure it out. I, I saw someone the other day, he was he's 24, just finished uni, straight into a job and he's like, you know, he's already getting that, that antsy feel that I had. And I was like, dude, just quit, save up some money, go quit and travel around the world for a year. Even if you went for a year, if you went for two years, you'd be 26 when you get back, you'll get a job when you get back. Trust me, I'll hire you when you get back. You'll be you'll be so much more valuable to me because you won't be an idiot and you won't want to have the scratch that itch because you scratched it, right? So you'll be more focused at work or whatever you might want to do. So yeah. my my. There's a lot of things we to unpack there, but it's there is that var- variety of a spice of life. Don't be afraid to scratch that itch. If you have an itch, explore it a little bit, you know, in terms of being challenged in your life. And that's, I think that's what you're talking about, you know, sitting at a cubicle and, you know, you think, geez, oh gosh, the, the thought of sitting here for 20 years is doesn't challenge me. Right. And so that's the problem. It doesn't challenge you to go off and do something that challenges you. And that's, that's where cool. you're going to have a uh, success and, or not success, but you're going to have joy, from, you know, brings you joy.
0: So, so yeah. Absolutely. And, and speaking of challenges, I was wondering if you would share with us, what is your, you've been investing for a decade now. Um, I, I'm sure not every deal has been a home run, but uh, would you, would you mind sharing some, um, a bad deal? What
1: happened? What, what mistakes did you make? First, two of the first three deals were bad deals. And when I say bad deals, it just things outside of my control went bad. Uh, the first triplex in upstate New York. I, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, white Australian guy, figuring out what the hell a ghetto was. Um, you know, <laughs> it was so even, even uh, upstate New York,
0: man, 38 grand. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I was in Section D, uh, Section D, Section 8 with Section Class D housing. And it was a lesson. And on paper, these things were great, right? And they went well for the first six months. And then just... Section 8 housing, being a landlord of a Section 8 housing came to fruition and we had a drive-by shooting at the place. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like, you know, now no one is hurt. It was outside of my control. I couldn't control the drive-by shooting, but at the time I didn't have the, the mental awareness to know that. And so, yeah, that, I ended up selling that property. I made a little bit of money on it, made me some cash flow, but it got me going, right? That was exactly. Even part. if, even if it, you
0: lose money, it,
1: it was your first one. It was the first stepping stone. Exactly. And that's the thing. That imagine if that had happened. The majority of people listening, maybe to this show, maybe not the majority of people listening to this show, but the majority of Americans or Australians or whoever people will think, oh, God, I'm not doing that ever again. Right. I doubled down. I was like, no, the get off, you, get, you, know, you got bucked off the horse. And I used to ride nags from the racetrack back in the day because I loved horse riding. And the only time I got to get horse riding was, 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 was helping someone else ride their horses. But I've got bucked off all the time get back on. That was what you taught. Get back on. You're going, to, you're going to have another go. It's not your first crack at it. You're going to be successful. And so there was that deal. And then the the, the flip deal in Philadelphia went, went absolutely pear-shaped. Um, and we got a good value, good ARV, we thought on it. Thought we had the good contractor on it, but we had to fire the contractor because he wasn't doing the right thing. We had to take back all the GC. I actually brought on the first time I brought on capital from outsiders when my, my dad came on board. And it, what ended up happening was just it took Instead of taking eight months, eight to twelve months to get you know completed and sold, it took eighteen months, and that just ate into the profit. I, I ended up paying my dad what I promised him, which was a fifteen percent return on his money, and I did, and I promised that. Uh, but it meant I had to come out of my own pocket, and plus we lost money on on the flip because of a bad choice of general contracting. Even though I'd been managing as a structural engineer, so many contractors and not understanding the what I needed to do, putting in the right contracts in place. But what I didn't realize was just the, the, the vast difference of commercial versus, they're no, not saying all residential contractors are a shit. You can say that. But <laughs> yeah. I'm in that sort of $100,000 to $150,000 range, you're not getting your top your top shelf blokes, right? Unlike doing the multi million dollar contracts. And there's issues with multi million dollar contracts. And I've been in, in, from a professional side of it, I've seen the other side as well. But not, not, you know, nine times out of 10, you get a better quality contractor. And anyway, cut long story short, I had to take that job over as a GC remotely moving from, I was in LA at the time and, and really have to negotiate with the city about like, he would put up all the, the drywall without getting signed off on electrical and not getting signed off on HVAC. So I had to go pull down the drywall. And, but my experience was I'd, through my day job, I'd experienced local municipalities. I knew what they wanted, right? I knew they wanted, you know, it's like, let's help each other. And I could be a little bit articulate with them and talk and like, look, I'm an Australian, those bloody dickheads screwed me over, you know, and, uh, and blamed it on someone else. But we got it there in the end and it sold really quickly. But the, and, and so everything went to, to, to well, except the time frame that you have. to, when you fire someone, you obviously the job then slows down and you got to pick it back up again. You got to go through the city, you got to get it approved, get the CFO, and then you can sell it. So if it all gone well, we did it in 12 months, we probably would have made 30 or 40,000 bucks. My dad would have been made, you know, made his money and we would have all gone down, you know, but those things, those couple of lessons at the beginning helped me realize that this isn't an easy game and, and not that I'm um, to scare people. It just means that you've got to understand what you're getting into. And then if you, when things go wrong and shit will hit the fan, trust me, it will, that you have again, the mental capacity and the resolve to work through it. And know that you've got, you can trust yourself and trust your instincts about how to problem solve and get through it. Because that is all that uh, failure or speed bump in the road is literally just, you've had a sight to something. A speed bump's come up. You've now got to go around the speed bump. How do you can mentally problem solve to get around it? And some people are like, oh, there's a speed bump. I can't get over it. It's a speed bump. For crying out loud. You either jump over or go around it and you'll figure it out, right? And that was all it was. Figuring it out, learning to figure it out. And the two biggest lessons from those two quote unquote bad deals, even though I didn't lose my shirt on either one of them, was that you learned how to figure it out. You learnt how to roll up the sleeves and, like, okay, well, let's, let's, it's, it was stressful at the time. Trust me, it was bloody stressful. But it was, I got it done and we got it over the finish line because I would love, I'm, I'm, glad that we got over the finish line without having to hand the keys back to the bank.
0: So would you say your dad, your father was your first private lender? And Correct. I, you just said something that you gave your dad back what what you promised him. Now I'm sure being your yep, dad had exactly. something to do with it, but that attitude, that <laughs> attitude is what I look for when I loan to, uh, to people as I'm developing a relationship with, the, with a real estate investor is, you know, and I've said this before in previous episodes, I'm looking for the guy who's willing to cut his own throat to make me whole or at least make sure that I don't lose money. Cause I know I'm, I'm making an investment. No investment is secure and safe, 100%. You know, it's, it, there, is, there is risk involved. So, I, you know, I, I accept that. But I also like, you know, because I, I tell you one thing, if you lose money on a deal and you make me whole, I'm going to loan to the, you on the next one. We, you know, well, I, of course, I will ask, okay, what'd you learn? You know, what were the mistakes? But, you know, that's all part <laughs> of it. As long as people don't think of my private loan as a tuition check, a blank tuition check to do whatever they want, as long as they're willing to, to do the right thing,
1: to honor the commitment. Yeah, no, that you, that's what that taught me. Is it okay, You bring in a lot of people's money. This is not your money. You have to treat it like better than you treat your own money. And your money has got to sit behind theirs, right? And that means that you have to, if you promise them something and you have been transparent and things happen, which they will, this is investing. As you said, there's no zero risk. And even today, when I raise you know, millions of dollars from people, everyone's like, oh, is, this, is this guaranteed? It's like, no, it's not. And if you still think it's guaranteed, you should not be investing in this deal. And I've had to fire investors because they come to me with that type of attitude and I'm like, you don't understand how investment works. And I, I can't guarantee, I don't have a crystal ball of what's going to happen tomorrow. I can model that out over a period of time and, and do everything in my power, but things still happen, right? And, and if you come into me saying, is it guaranteed? Ugh, red flag, maybe you need to go do some smaller deals and then before coming over to here. And, and I've had to fire fire investors because... They've just raised those red flags and I said, sorry. So even as a borr- quote-unquote borrower from private money, I have fired private money lenders because I just know that our interests don't align.
0: And when you when you were telling that story, I, I, I just thought of uh, Joe Pesci and Casino when he gives the, the banker 50 grand. He's like, yeah, we're losing somebody." He's like, I want my 50 grand back. <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't work that way. You're going to give me my 50 grand. <laughs> but I think I'm yeah. I'm, Thank you. I, um, I, I'm all ate up with the Irishman and a uh, good, I love, I love Scorsese films. Love them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah they It a good certainly film, was.
0: Um, uh, well, man, look, we, uh, we're coming down to the war. I don't want to stop this uh, at all because I'm having such a blast, but I do know it's, uh, you know, coming up on or ending your lunchtime over there on the West coast. And, uh, I'll be going to the bus stop here to pick up a little one in about half an hour. But, um, is there anything, obviously we're going to give you all your contact details, how you know how you can get a hold of, of Reed? Just go to the show notes. But I know you're doing sort of uh, you're you're accepting investors if you want to invest with Reed, and, and also there's a, a mastermind program that you have for commercial real estate. You want to talk about those? Uh,
1: yeah. So on the business side, uh, for people, we didn't talk get into it, but what what the business has now come into is we buy value-added multifamily deals through syndication. Uh, syndication is the pooling of investors' money together. Uh, we, are the business owners, we find the deal. Investors don't have the time or the energy. We partner up and we buy big deals. There's that part of it. The, there's that side of the business, and there's also the, the learning side, which is more the mentorship. Uh, when we say mentorship, it's more of a mastermind, and we do allow people to come into our mastermind who uh, control a million dollars of real estate or more. Now, the reason we have that such such high barrier is just because we're trying to get people who want to become us, right? Want to be emulate us, and and not. Figure out what, what an IRR is or what a cash on cash return is. So we've got both sides. Um, if you aren't interested in investing with me, um, obviously we've got to get to know one another first. as I say, I, I do have a whole criteria of, of what on onboarding investors. and then you know just you, this, this is a relationship business, as you've said before, Keith. It's like you know you've got to get to know one another and you don't just jump into bed instantly. and if anyone ever does that uh, in terms of real estate. Uh, run the other way <laughs> because it is not. It's not going to. It's not going to end well for for either for either people. So I'm really all about getting to know one people who want to get involved in my sphere. If you want to get involved, you just head over to reedgoosens.com. dot com. There's an invest with or learn with uh, Reed. So you click on either one of those tabs and you can fill out some forms and um, you know we get on get on a phone call and, and figure it out. So, so
0: yeah, excellent. And I encourage you, any, anyone out there um, if you do control a million dollars worth of real estate, get in get into the mastermind because as I've gone down this path, I've learned, you know, real estate investors are notoriously cheap people, right? So if, you know, that's why they have to start the, you know, the course is five grand, but today only at this RIA meeting, you do for a grand, you know? Yes. That, that, but, um, <coughs> so, but having that, that, that high barrier to entry, I found, uh, so I've gone to some quote unquote masterminds that I was very excited about and was, actually became disappointed because it was just a newbie dumping ground. And which was good if you're new, but if you had some experience already, you didn't really get a whole lot out of it, you know, and so I, I like the fact that you you're, you're putting that up there and and you've got you've got a I know you've got a couple of books out we haven't talked about those. tell us uh about uh about your books
1: yeah and and my apologies for for everyone listening. There is a barking dog in the background, and uh, it's just one of those things it's Friday afternoon, general contractors are at the house doing work, and my dog doesn't like anyone else who's not me, <laughs> so my wife so yeah, but about the quickly about the books. If you are watching this on video, it's in the background. So Investing in the US uh, is the first book. It is all the best episodes from my podcast over the last four, four and a half years jammed into a book form, really just in and around my story. But also, I'm an engineer as well. So it's very laid out in terms of a step-by-step process. And that just actually went to number one before Christmas, which was awesome. So number one on Amazon. Thank you very much. And actually, as of this recording, it just was uploaded to Audible. I don't know when this, this podcast will go out, but it's just uploaded to Audible today. It, they've got to review it, but it will be, also be on Audible. So, Investing in the U.S., the ultimate guide to U.S. real estate will be on Audible on Amazon. Check it out there. You can check out the podcast. The second book is, was released last year and it was a, a collection of me and seven other Aussies uh, that have made the, the jump across the ditch, as I like to say, to the United States and we've all achieved financial freedom through U.S. real estate in different facets of it. We've got a, couple of, a guy in there talking all, only about mobile home park investing and, and each one of us has a chapter and it's called "Ten uh, 10,000 miles to the American dream, our story of financial freedom. So um, check out that one as well on amazon.com or on my website.
0: So yeah. Absolutely. Be, be careful with that. You don't want Trump getting wind that, uh, all you Aussies are coming over <laughs> here and making money. no, he actually, yeah, in real estate, he probably, yes, come on. Bring it on.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, we've we got to swim yeah. a long way. Yeah, right? exa- so. exactly.
0: Yeah. You've got, you've got quite a, a my my uh, my kid's mother was born in India, and so moved to the United States when she was was two. And it's it's just I was looking, kind of talking to her father about comparing like the Indian immigrants versus those from South America. And he's like, yeah, they didn't have to come that far, you know, like it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, like, yeah, they had to walk; they didn't fly. <laughs> yeah. you know. right, right, Most right. Most of them exactly. came by foot. Exactly. So um, anyway, all right, well, great. So uh dot you can find out the books, invest with Reed, or if you want to learn with them. And I want to thank you, my friend, for coming on, not only for being on my show, but for having, been one of the first people to put a podcast out there when I started looking around and just telling your story and letting people know, like this can be done, you know? And, you know, if you want something, go get it, plain and simple. I, no, I really it's, appreciate it's, that. That's why I, I, I really said when your assistant that. reached out to me, I was like, take it to the bank. Yeah, You tell me, you tell me a time and date and this will be done,
1: you know? So. Yeah, I was I was very very excited. And I also want to reflect a little bit back to you. I thank thank you for those kind words and you're doing an awesome job and congratulations with all the recent success and the fact that you left your W-2 because that's freaking awesome. And uh just keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing, man. I love this podcast. I love this format. I love the, love the jam. It's sort of like music, we're like musicians, but we're talking about business, you know? That's
0: exactly it. Just enjoy. I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm going to keep doing, like I told my mom the other day, I said, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because I'm too dumb to do anything else. You know, like this is all I know. And, right.
1: and you get your juices from it, right? I bet you, I bet you love coming off the oh, show yeah. and going, yeah, look,
0: yeah I love, finally. I love insurance adjusting. I love investing in real estate. I write reports for uh, insurance, but they're not creative. This, you know, like, look at this horrible logo. I mean, come on. You know, that, that's two years old. I can't think of anything better, you know, but it forced me. Hey, I need a backdrop. I need a poster to take to a RIA meeting. And it's and like you said, I got to get uncomfortable. And the more comfortable I got doing stuff I don't like, I found that I've, all of a sudden there's more freedom. And then all of a sudden there's more opportunity, which all of a sudden brings in more money. Awesome. Thank you so much. I wish you all the best. Thank you, brother. Talk soon. Yeah. Talk soon. Eh? And there you have it that's going to do it for the interview with Reed Goosens on episode 97 today. I would like to thank Reed again for coming on today's show and sharing his story and his knowledge. And for more information about Reed, his investing, his mastermind, his story, his podcast, you can go to reedgoosens.com or visit the show notes page for episode 97 at privatelenderpodcast.com. You know, I don't charge money for this show, but I do ask that you please help me get the word out and increase awareness. By leaving me an honest rating and review over at iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever platform you're using at the moment to hear my voice. That is the best way you can help contribute to this show and help me out, and I'd be forever, forever grateful if, if you would do so. In addition, would you please I ask that you please help other people find out about the show, especially if you're trying to develop your own private lenders for your deals? Please share the show this episode and help build the private lender nation. All right, enough pandering for one day. I hope everyone is doing well. and of course, I wish you' all safe and happy and prosperous private lending. Catch you on the next episode.
1: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review and we'll catch you next time.